Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness, the ultimate destination to explore the integral connection between kinky wellness and your personal development. I'm your host and kinky wellness coach, Dana Shergill, and each Monday, I bring on a special guest to dive into specific aspects of kinky wellness. From unconventional practices to thought-provoking conversations, I'm here to break down barriers and redefine the boundaries of wellness and pleasure. Don't forget to join me for my solo shows on Wednesdays, where I explore even further into the multifaceted layers of kinky wellness. So let's strip away the shame and taboo together and have an open conversation about it. Hey, and welcome back. Today, we are joined by Carmen Smith. Carmen is a pelvic floor specialist and pediatric physiotherapist. And today, she's here to talk to us about our pelvic floor. And yes, we all have one. In this episode, Carmen is letting us in on how the pelvic floor is the foundation of our bodies. And when it functions well, we can improve the way the rest of our body is working on a huge scale. So let's jump right into it and welcome Carmen to the show. Hello, Carmen. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Great. I am. This is a very interesting topic, pelvic floor health, because it seems like it's a very like it's a topic we should all know, but not a lot of us are aware of the importance of it. Yes, 100 percent. It's something that most people know nothing about. I get patients all the time that come in and they think they know and often cases, but they, they really don't. And so it's a really cool topic and I love talking about it. And I'm excited to chat about this with you today. Yeah. So why don't we just start with then what is the pelvic floor and I guess what its purpose is for? So the pelvic floor is simply put a group of muscles at the base of the pelvis that function to do a lot of things. And I always say that the pelvic floor is in my opinion, the most important muscle group in the body because it does so many things. There's no other muscle group that has that many functions, right? So the pelvic floor, the muscles that make up the pelvic floor have several functions. And those are obviously bowel and bladder function, obviously play a role in sexual function, a big role there. And I'll argue too, that that plays a role in fertility because we need to have sexual function in order to procreate. So, and our brain knows this, that our pelvic floor has those essential functions, right? So it's super Mm. important. Um, But outside of that, it also plays a role in stabilizing the pelvis. So keeping the pelvis stable so that your hips can work, your back can work, your knees can work, your feet can work, your torso can work. It's the center of everything, right? Also plays a role in acting like a sub pump. So the muscles contracting helps contract fluid and all that back up to the heart and the lungs and everything, all the lymphatics. But then it also plays a role in acting as a sling. So it holds all our organs inside of us. It plays a role in kind of keeping them all (laughs) hanging out there. So really without the pelvic floor, we would be falling apart. (laughs) It quite sounds like it. It sounds like almost every part of us is back connected into our pelvic floor. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I always say the pelvic floor is like the foundation of a home. It really is the foundation of our bodies. And without it, everything else falls apart. Because it is that core, that base, right? Now, before we get into some of the functions of what it does, so what typically happens with a pelvic floor? Like what causes it or what stems from some of the problems that it arises, I guess? 
Oh man, that's a loaded question because there is a lot of things that can contribute to issues with the pelvic floor. It really is individual to the person because certain injuries can cause issues with the pelvic floor and not just with the pelvic floor specifically, right? It could be a hip injury that could affect your pelvic floor Mm -hmm. because all the muscles are connected. Um, In that sense, it could be a knee, a knee injury that could cause issues with the pelvic floor. Because if your groin muscles are affected by a knee injury, for example, your groin attaches right up at the base of the pelvic floor. So if there's something wrong with that muscle, it's going to affect your pelvic floor as well right? So those types of injuries can cause issues with the pelvic floor. Bowel and bladder issues can cause problems with the pelvic floor. So constipation, for example, if someone's really constipated on a regular basis for a long time, eventually that's going to have an impact on the pelvic floor. Because if you're constantly bearing down to try and push past that barrier, that is the pelvic floor, it can cause tension or malfunction in the pelvic floor, right? So bowel and bladder issues, any trauma, whether that's sexual or trauma related to birth or trauma related to medical procedures around the vulva, around the penis, any of those types of issues can cause problems with the pelvic floor, even if it's just related to stress alone, right? So if someone's got like a trauma response because of stress, because they've had a a bad uh, medical experience where the doctor didn't explain what was happening and they just, you know, started their medical procedure then that stress alone associated with that um, situation can cause problems with the pelvic floor. So there is a lot. And that's like, I really kind of limited it to a few things just to kind of give an idea, but there's so many things like, yeah, it's hard to really say what causes problems. No, but I appreciate the fact that I didn't realize like say a knee injury. And so this is something where we have to remember that the body is connected in all areas. So when we hurt ourselves in one area, it can affect somewhere else. And this is a good 100%. reminder that again, yes, we are all connected. It all kind of works together. Yeah. So for the typical functions, of course, sexual health is a big deal on this channel. And so for the sexual function, how does that relate back to the public floor? So sexual function essentially allows for us to penetrate, right? Stimulation is also affected by pelvic floor. So if our muscles can't contract or relax properly, then the pelvic floor won't be able to function sexually. So if the muscles can't relax to allow insertion of anything, well, it's not going to be a very successful sexual encounter. If the muscles can't contract and relax to experience an orgasm or at least help the clitoris to experience an orgasm if we're talking about the female population then that sexual encounter is also going to be impacted right so there's a lot of factors that come into play when it comes to sexual function so pelvic floor health is would it be it's connected to vaginismus then is that like a fair is because i is that about the contraction and not Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like vaginismus can be caused by a few different things or be impacted by a few different things, but pelvic floor is one of them, right? So if your muscles, like imagine this, if your muscles are really, really tight and they're not relaxing, think of if your bicep muscle in your arm was super, super tight. Let's say you carried groceries for like eight hours because you had to walk all the way home because your bus broke down and you didn't have a car. So you had to walk and imagine carrying those heavy groceries for eight hours until you get home. And then imagine how your arm would feel, how your bicep muscle would feel once you put those groceries down. Imagine that tension, how tired, how exhausted, how painful that would be. 
that's like the pelvic floor. If that pelvic floor, if the muscles are tight, it's going to cause that same sensation in the vagina and the vulva, which is going to cause that vagismus sensation, right? Vagismus can also be caused by, you know, hormonal dysfunction and issues with the skin of the pelvic or with the vulva. So there's a lot of factors that can cause vagismus, but yes, pelvic floor is one of them if you think of it in that sense. So it's always something that we treat. And then I'll also argue that vagismus can cause pelvic floor issues because if you've got pain all the time, you're going to be tensing, which is a sensory nervous system response. You're going to tense up because it's painful, right? So think about if you've, you know, you hurt your back, your first instinct isn't to do, okay, let me stretch it out. And you're kind of going, oh no, what did I do? Don't move, you know, sit down, lie down, don't budge, let it what did I do? You know, same thing's going to happen with the pelvic floor if you're having pain for another reason. So they go hand in hand. So it's, it's something that we treat. It's not necessarily because that's the source of the problem, but it's definitely affected by any issue that would cause pain down there as well. So it's all, uh, they go hand in hand. Good to know. Good to know. Now it's interesting how it's kind of well, it sounds like it's the center of all of us. And what you said, it's the foundation and it's a swing and it's all of this jazz. But I don't feel like I ever heard it during health class growing up. I don't think I ever was touched on Mm -hmm. this. And so I'm wondering how you got into this and how you found out about pelvic floor health. So I, I originally heard about it because I had a friend of mine that works in the States that was getting into it. And so she mentioned it and she kept saying to me, Carm, you'd be so good at this. And I kind of fluffed it off. But as I started to treat orthopedics and I started to see issues with the pelvic floor, just from doing physical external assessments, I started to see that, you know, the pelvic floor could be contributed to a lot of issues that my patients were having. I started to dive in a little bit deeper and do some research. And then I started treating pelvic floor without, I didn't have the ability to go internal or anything like that. And so I was doing all external assessments, but I started treating and assessing the pelvic floor through my treatments. And then The big kicker for me is when I had my second son, I suffered from pelvic floor issues. So I suffered from prolapse. um, And then I did also have some discomfort with sex afterwards. And so that's when I really kind of dove in head first, because what I realized is that the information wasn't out there. There, like you said, it's not something we learned about in school. So having my child and having that knowledge, I realized that if I didn't have the background I had, that I wouldn't have been able to treat the issue that I was having. And so I started to realize that lots of people out there don't have this information and they suffer with this stuff every day because no one tells them, no one lets them know that this is a thing. It's not something that we talk about. I'll even argue that most OBs don't mention it to women that have babies. It's definitely becoming more common they're getting much, much better at it. But I still have women coming to see me that go, how come my OB didn't say anything about this? Mm. And they didn't even mention pelvic floor as an or pel- pelvic floor treatment as an option. I even literally just this week, I had a patient come in and she said that her doctor told her that just give it six months and she'll be fine. Mm. And she was having pain with intercourse, incontinence, bowel issues, all the stuff. And her doctor just said, oh, you'll be fine in six months. You'll recover. 
So is it just they're unaware of it? They, this is something that just didn't get put up in their classes or? Yeah, I think it's it's new, right? Like mm-hmm. pelvic floor is definitely something that we're still learning about. I would say it's new in the last 20 years. It's not something that was really talked about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, even 20 years ago, it was very, very um, limited in the knowledge that we had. So it's still new. So I think it is just a they don't know, they don't understand that there's another option. Yeah. So, and I do have the odd person that comes in and says, my doctor doesn't believe in pelvic floor physio. And oh, unfortunately wow. that's a mentality as well out there, which we're trying to break. But no, I think that's very good for people to know that in case someone does have a doctor who's not taking you seriously, this is a, yeah. a sign to maybe go into another direction and ask for a second opinion. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I always say to my patients, if something doesn't sit right with you, there's no harm in getting a second opinion. Yeah. Like if if you have a practitioner that's going, oh, yep, nope, there's nothing we can do. I always say you need a second opinion at that point because there's always something we can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can't completely um, cure the pelvic pain that someone's having, but there's always something we can do to help manage, right? Like PCOS and endometriosis, those are tough conditions to treat. And of course, we don't have a cure for those things, but there's a lot of things we can do to help, right? So there's there's never nothing we can do. That's yes. And that, yes, that's very important. Now, yeah. you mentioned the difference between internal versus external when someone's going to get this check. Now, can you walk us through a bit of a difference of what that would mean? Yeah. So <clears throat> because I say that the pelvic floor is like the center of everything, the core, we have to look at the external as well as the internal. And I use have to very lightly there with the internal component because I've had people that I've treated without having to go internal. So the way I explain it as an internal exam is an exam of the internal tissues. So because the pelvic floor is at the base of the pelvis and it basically surrounds our orifices an internal examination or assessment can be a very valuable tool to see what's going on with the tissues. Is it absolutely necessary? I would say no. I've had patients where I haven't gone internal just because of comfort level. uh, And we've been able to help them without having to do that internal examination. So that's a big one that a lot of people are often nervous about. Uh, and I always, on that first visit, when I sit down with a patient, I always explain to them that we kind of, every patient that I see is different, right? So we go the direction that is comfortable and makes the most sense for you. So some patients I go in on that first visit, some patients it's not till the second or third visit, and then some patients I don't go in at all, right? So that internal assessment is a really valuable tool to see what's going on with the tissues, because I wouldn't treat a neck issue without kind of touching the muscles of the neck to see what's going on. But there are other tools like external assessments that we can do to check and see what's going on with the hip mobility, the SI function, the low back, uh, all these tests that we do externally to the pelvis can give me an idea of what's going on with the pelvic floor. So for example, uh, if someone has a really, really tight hip and they can't externally rotate or internally rotate properly, then I'm going to speculate that, yeah, there's a problem with the pelvic floor to some extent because those deep hip muscles that are responsible for that movement are the pelvic floor. So for instance, the obturator internus, the piriformis muscle, coccygeus, those muscles 
are consistent. They make up some of the pelvic floor, but they are also responsible for hip movement. So I can look externally to get an idea. Internal is obviously gold standard for that, but it's not something we have to do to get an idea. Wow. I, the more that you say the external, like the knee, the hip, these alternative things, we tend to, at least in my perspective, when it comes to a hip injury or a hip issue, that's kind of the only spot we look at. Like, at least that's how I've always seen it. But now it's like, no, all of this comes back to the pelvic floor, which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's again, pelvic floor is the foundation, right? So it's, it's all connected to that. And it's the base of our torso, so it's it holds everything up without the pelvic floor our organs aren't stable inside our pelvis isn't stable and then the hips or the legs come off of the pelvic floor or the hips the pelvis right so it really is the center and everything is affected by it and therefore everything affects it as well Mm, mm. so in my opinion it should be the center of all treatment we it should always be something that we kind of go okay, could there be something going on with the pelvic floor that is contributing to this or vice versa? Is it being affected by whatever's going on with the patient? So long before I was doing pelvic floor, I was assessing the pelvis with my orthopedic patients just to see, because if there's something wrong, we have to address that. Otherwise we're never going to get the results we're looking for. And a lot of people do get relief from the issue that they're dealing with Um, with other treatment without focusing on the pelvic floor. But in my experience, every one of them, it comes full circle and eventually they end up back where they started or with another problem because they haven't fixed all the, they don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. You can't see the whole picture if you're missing pieces of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. right? So they they end up always coming back and without a doubt, I usually have patients that are like, well, I saw a chiropractor in the past and they did this and it really helped. I was good for like two years. So I don't understand why this is coming back. And we usually go, okay, well, what else is there going on that's contributing to this that we missed? Yes. And health is complex. Now, when it comes to the pelvic floor, this must be something that we go through the ages with because we have it since we're born. (laughs) And I do know that there's a lot of conversation about pelvic floor and women with around childbirth and things like that. But for males and even uh, we had a brief conversation about children and like how it can show up in health ways with them. And would you be able to kind of point out some issues on those topics as well? Yeah, so again- Oh man, I could talk for hours about that. Um, (laughs) But we'll start with kind of the base. So what people, and I usually say this and they kind of go, oh my God, you're so right. But what people don't realize is that when we sit, we don't use our pelvic floor. The chair holds us up. We don't need to activate the muscles of the pelvic floor because the chair is doing the work for us. So sitting and every research article will tell you this, for many, many reasons, not just because of the pelvic floor, but sitting is the worst position for us, for our backs, for our hips, for our pelvis. It's not good for us. Sitting doesn't allow us to use our muscles and function the way we're designed to. So bringing that back to pediatrics, we shuffle kids into classrooms at four years old and they sit for, we'll say at most eight hours a day. Hopefully they get out and get a little bit of recess, but they're recessed, but they're probably sitting for at least minimum two hours at a time without moving. So for two hours in the day, multiple times throughout the day, 
for their entire, the rest 18 to 20 to 30 years, depending on if they do post-grad, these kids are sitting in classrooms for long periods of time, not using the muscles of their hips, of their pelvic floor, of their core. And then as we get older, we start to have problems and we think, oh, it's because I sit at a desk all day. When in reality, it may have stemmed from four years old and not developing properly, not using the muscles properly, not using the pelvic floor properly so that they start to have problems. And I will, I do see pediatric pelvic floor patients as well. Um, a lot of times when they're kids, it presents as constipation issues or, you know, nighttime wetting that lasts long beyond the time that we would expect a child to stop peeing the bed uh, or issues where they were completely potty trained and now all of a sudden they're not. So I'll often see kids with issues like that and parents are at a loss because they've tried everything. They've tried laxatives. They've tried, oh my gosh, uh, mental health meds because they've been told it's a mental health problem. They've tried therapy. They've tried all these things when really it's just a problem because the pelvic floor is not contracting and relaxing properly. Um, and we can treat that. And I've, I've seen a, a few kids now where most of them are constipation based because parents have tried a lot um, and we're able to treat the pelvic floor just with a few exercises and training these kids how to relax their pelvic floor by breathing properly. And then I will add there too, obviously with children, we don't do any internal assessments. It's not part of the assessment or the treatment. Um, mm -hmm. It's more exercise based and breath work, relaxation, stretching, those kinds of things. But I've been able to help kids that are suffering with that because it's really just the muscle's not functioning properly. So let's treat the muscle rather than throw all these medications at them. Wow. Yes. And you mentioned breathing and exercising. Now, of course, sitting we know is not good, but breathing is that, that really just comes down to just calming the area. Yes, there is a component to it that helps with calming the muscles, but there's also a physical component to that too, because the diaphragm, which sits at the base of the rib cage, the base of the lungs that is responsible for helping us to inhale and exhale is parallel to the pelvic floor. So the diaphragm has to be functioning properly and it has to be able to expand and contract with our breathing in order for the pelvic floor to function properly. Because if they don't function together, then they end up fighting each other, which makes it very difficult to make either muscle group activate properly, right? So yes, there is a calming component to that, but there's also a physical component. So I teach kids and adults, patients of all ages, how to breathe properly through the diaphragm so that their pelvic floor can activate, contract, and relax properly as well. Okay. Wow. That is good to know. And for men, it, it would be a little bit different, but for instance, if he, a man, a female, whatever, they get an hip injury, it would still cause some problems. So what happens yeah. with males with this? So obviously males are different because they don't have the vaginal opening like females do. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of things that we can treat like like a hip injury that causes problems with the pelvic floor. Um, erectile dysfunction can sometimes be caused by pelvic floor issues because of the muscles can't, again, contract and relax properly or they're super, super tight. It's going to prevent the male from being able to obtain a, an erection. Also, I see male patients who have had prostatectomies or enlarged prostate 
or issues with their urethra or any kind of um, bladder infection, those kinds of things can contribute to pelvic floor issues. So often I'll see patients for that. With males, we can go internal rectally because sometimes hip issues, deep muscle problems can cause problems with the pelvic floor. So sometimes we'll go internally rectally to assess that. But a lot of times I find exercise, stretches, and breathing properly can work wonders, especially post-op. So anytime they've had a post-op procedure, that's my first go-to. Okay, let's get you set up with some exercises, some stretches, some breath work so that we can start getting the muscles functioning again. Is there any couple exercises you'd be able to briefly describe here that someone might be able to take home? Or is this something where you'd need tools or like assistance with? Yeah, I mean, I always say it's best to see a professional so that you can determine what exercises are the best for you and Mm -hmm. make sure that you're doing them properly. So if anyone ever asks me those questions, I always say it's best to see someone so that you can get that instruction. However, there's a few stretches, kind of go-to stretches that I will recommend for people. And then I always say, you know, make sure that you talk to your doctor or your healthcare professional about doing these exercises before you do them. Um, But obviously, if you have any pain or discomfort with doing them, you're going to stop right away and seek out help because there shouldn't be any pain or discomfort while you're doing them. So The big one that I say is kind of like the gold standard for pelvic floor is the happy baby pose, if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. yoga. Now, the full-on happy baby is basically where you grab the bottom of your feet. You're lying on your back and you grab the bottom of your feet and you kind of pull your feet towards you so that your knees are sitting at your torso and your hands are placed on your feet. But I often will give a modified happy baby to start where it's simply just lying on your back, pulling your knees in towards your chest. You're going to grab behind your thighs and you're pulling those knees up till they're kind of on either side of your torso, relaxing your feet, relaxing your legs, and just kind of breathing into that. Uh, That's a great stretch for the pelvic floor and the perineal tissue. Outside of that, I'll often give some hip stretches. I do a reversed pigeon pose, which is really just where you lie on your back, you pull a knee into your chest, and then you kind of grab your ankle and pull those in towards you so that you're kind of in that reverse pigeon pose. Um, Cat-cow is another great exercise, which is where you kind of go on your hands and knees, or sorry, cat-camel, where you go on your hands and knees, and then you tuck the the torso in, And then you stretch out the torso to just kind of rotate and mobilize the tissues of your torso and your pelvic floor. So those are kind of a few of the beginner exercises. But again, I always say it's good to see someone because there are some um, tweaks that we have to make sometimes. Like I'll have a patient that can't do a happy baby. So we'll modify it and do one leg and then the other until they're comfortable doing a full on happy baby because it should never be uncomfortable. And uh, again, I see that all the time where patients come in and they'll go, oh, I've seen another healthcare professional for pelvic floor and they gave me this stretch and they're doing it and they go, it's really painful here. And I'm like, okay, we're getting rid of that and we're going to add this in and we're going to do this for a bit until we can make our way to that, right? Because again, sensory nervous system, we don't want to set that off because that can affect the pelvic floor. So if you're experiencing pain down there, well, of course your muscles are going to be tight and you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. So pain, I know we usually say pain, no pain, no gain. So 
but pain is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. And for this, it sounds like just go slow, like healing. I think with this process, you can't rush it. It sounds like. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. But that's like anything in life. We all want that quick fix. There's no such thing. Yes. That's very true. (laughs) There's no such thing. It, it takes time. It takes consistency. It can takes, it takes effort and going back to having doctors not believing in what we do. I often find it's because pelvic floor physio usually doesn't work there's two scenarios where it doesn't work is if there's something bigger going on that needs to be addressed kind of surgically or medically however we can still help in those situations Um, but obviously those things need to be addressed to get full recovery the other scenario is if patients haven't kept up with or done their exercises Mm. you're not being consistent with that stuff you're not going to get the results you're looking for Yes, that's absolutely right. Now, it's a lot of movement based for this. Now, mm-hmm. does diet affect this type of issue or is this predominantly like just sitting, staying in one space, not utilizing those muscles? Like you mean the pelvic floor yes. itself? Yeah, no, no. Diet can definitely play a role, obviously. And as I said before, it's not always just a physical problem. There can be diet issues. There can be hormonal issues. There mm-hmm. can be mental health, uh, stress-related issues that contribute to the pelvic floor, any kind of trauma, um, not just physical, but like mental trauma can cause problems with the pelvic floor because, it, again, it's all connected. So, yeah, physical is a big part. And I always say, even though we may not be able to treat the issue fully with physical treatment, we can always help manage some of the symptoms with physical treatment, but definitely all those other things need to be addressed to make sure that they're not causing a problem as well or contributing to the pelvic floor problem. So that's where my training encompassed a lot of that differential diagnosis. So oftentimes we spend the majority of that first visit doing a history, asking questions, uh, diving into what other things could be contributing to the pelvic floor that need to be addressed. And I'll often go, okay, hmm, you know, that sounds interesting maybe a hormonal issue could be a diet issue so you know you might want to see a naturopath or you might want to see a nutritionist or you might want to talk to your doctor about that just to rule out that there could be something else contributing to the pelvic floor as well absolutely absolutely now with the pelvic floor and again like women a big one is pregnancy and having a baby and things you can do before and during and after now i've heard some you know, when it comes to Kegels, like some people are like, don't overdo it. And some people are like, no, you got to do it. And there's a lot of conflicting information on that. And so I would like a little bit of clarity, at least from your perspective on how pelvic floor, pregnancy, Kegels, how that all comes together and what your advice would be. So again, this is where everybody's unique, everybody's Mm. different. And the standard Kegel is not enough. So this is why people will say, oh, I've been doing Kegels and they're not helping. Well, there there could be something else that's contributing to it that needs to be addressed. There's many pieces to the puzzle and you can't see that whole picture, which is one piece of the puzzle, right? So I will say seeing a healthcare professional who has some training in pelvic floor, if you think you have a pelvic floor issue, is ideal because we need to see what is going on individually in that person's situation. 
But simply put, Kegels are a great exercise. There's many different ways to do a Kegel. There's many different positions to do a Kegel in. So again, this is where getting that information is important. But they're a really good exercise if done properly. So I'll often encourage like my mamas who have had or who are having babies because I'll see people through pregnancy as well. I'll encourage them to do a few exercises. And one of them is gentle Kegels after giving birth, because it just, it would be like if you had a bicep repair and the doctor said, okay, you can start moving your arm. You're not going to start by lifting weights. You're going to start by just doing a simple, okay, I'm going to move my arm just to get the muscle moving and working. Right. So if we're talking about pregnancy post-birth, whether it's been a C-section or a vaginal delivery, that's a great beginner exercise just to start contracting and relaxing the muscles to get them working again because they've experienced a lot of trauma throughout the pregnancy because of pressure of the baby pushing down on the pelvic floor. And then if they've had a vaginal delivery, they've experienced trauma to the tissue upon delivery. Whether they've actually had tearing or not is irrelevant. They still need to help manage that recovery. So Kegels are a great exercise, but they're not the only exercise and they're not always the most important exercise for the person. Because again, if they can't relax the muscle, then a Kegel is not going to help them fully. Sure, they can contract. And I see that all the time where someone can contract really well, but if they can't relax properly, you're not getting a full movement of the muscle and that's a problem, right? Does that answer your question? No, that's good. And, and it's good to know that like, there's just a lot of emphasis on it. So again, like and feel what's right for you. And I'll yeah. of course, see someone like you before someone does something like that. But is there mm-hmm. anything that people like, is there like a common sense somebody comes in with a pelvic floor issue and you see kind of a repetitive problem or issue that kind of comes up? Yes, but there's multiple repetitive ones. It's not like there's just one issue that's kind of like, oh yeah, that's like what normal people normally suffer from. But I mean, the main thing is you can have a very tense pelvic floor. So the muscles of the pelvic floor can be really tight. So they're not relaxing properly. So we have to treat that differently than someone who comes in and has a really weak pelvic floor. Like they can't contract at all. There's no contraction. So we have to train that. There can be issues to the nervous system that are impacting our connection to the pelvic floor. So this is where, you know, it can be more of just a a learning how to reconnect to the pelvic floor. That's a big one. Obviously, any post-surgical or delivery or anything like that, those are specific, unique to the type of procedure that the individual has had. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd say there's a common issue. I would say lately... There's a huge tension issue, and I would argue Mm. that that's partly because of what we went through through the past three years with COVID and the stress, and now with inflation, like all that stress is impacting our pelvic floors. So lately, I see a lot of people who are suffering from tension, um, which can be physical-based, but sometimes stress-based, sometimes function based because they're just not connecting to their body because it's kind of been tunnel vision for the last three years. There's a lot of different factors that can cause that, but that's been really common the last few years. And for that issue, Kegels wouldn't be enough. Right. And so that's why someone can go online and go, Oh, I'm going to do Kegel because I've got pelvic floor issues and they're doing Kegels till the cows come home and they're not getting results. 
because it's not the fact that the muscle can't contract. It's the fact that the muscle can't relax. Yes. And relaxation. I think that is something that it can be difficult to relax. I don't think that's something that we're actually talked about just even outside Mm -hmm. of pelvic health or just in general, like steps to calm yourself down, like to slow down during eating, to not like swallow your food so fast and, you know, not rushing from one task to another. Like we are supposed to be a little bit more slower, relaxed people, creatures, I guess you could say. And that's something that we should emphasize. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's funny that you say that because those are all simple fixes, right? Like it's, it doesn't take a lot to achieve those results by doing those things. And going back to our initial topic, we talked a little bit about vagismus. I can, I like, I've had patients before come in and we'll do all the assessments and their pelvic floor is functioning great. There's no issues. And I, we talk more about their sexual function because that's usually it's pain during intercourse. That's the main issue. And we talk about what that looks like. And it can be sometimes as simple as saying, okay, when you experience that pain during penetration, I want you to pause, take a deep breath and relax for a second and see what that does for you. And I've had patients come back and they're like, the pain is gone. So it can be something as simple as just taking a moment to slow down, take a deep breath and relax. And it can do a world of wonders. Just breathing. I think breathing in general can do like a world of wonders. It's crazy. But I think people forget, like we will be told to rush, rush to work, rush at work, rush home. But then we keep that rushy, that rushiness going even when we're at home. And there's, it's just so common now that that it's good to remind it. Cause yeah, sometimes we just need to chill and breathe. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent breathe. And oh my gosh, again, another topic I could go on for hours though, <laughs> but breathing, it has such a big impact on what we do both in our daily lives, but also in the way our body functions. There has been so much research uh, that has looked at the benefits of just practicing breath work, controlling your breathing, how it can affect our immune system, our hormones, our stress levels, our heart function, our lung function, all of those things, our muscle function, um, breathing has been shown scientifically to impact those things and make people healthier in essence. So if you can just learn how to slow down and breathe properly, you can help a lot of issues that you are having just by implementing that practice alone. And it's something that, um, on our podcast that we've been talking about a lot, like practicing breath work and going through those exercises because we're seeing such a connect, such and a disconnect, if you will, because people aren't connected to that component. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a very valid point. And when it comes to pelvic floor health, is there's just certain things that you just really want people to know about this topic or considerations or just something that maybe is a misinformation that you'd like to yeah. clarify? Uh, that everybody has a pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Men, women, kids, we all have a pelvic floor. And for the most part, they function very similarly. And so it, it's, again, it's the core, it's the center of everything. So there, there's always usually something that we can do with the pelvic floor to help improve function throughout the body, right? So, and there's always something we can do to help like this, this mentality that Oh, you know, like there's nothing we can do for that. Um, if we're taking a male, for example, who's suffering from erectile dysfunction and they've tried everything, 
there's always something we can do. If it's a woman who's um, having leakage or incontinence because she had a couple babies or maybe she didn't have any babies and she's experiencing that, it's not a lost cause. There's always something we can do. So it's important to address it, get it checked out, talk to somebody who knows because everybody has a pelvic floor and we all sit for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. So all our pelvic floors need some help. (laughs) Well, even to your point about like leakage, even if you didn't have kids, like that is something that we should talk about too, because like people, the whole, like, can I go to the bathroom? And sometimes teachers, parents or situations you were, you couldn't like, you weren't allowed. And so that kind of rewires Mm -hmm. some things. And so even when someone's not there to say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Can I go? Sometimes we are the ones that aren't going. Right. Oh, yeah. And on that note, I'll say urgency is also a pelvic floor problem. So if you aren't peeing your pants, but you're like, I have to go now where I'm going to pee my pants constantly throughout the day, that's a pelvic floor issue that needs to be addressed. So a lot of people go, oh, I don't have a pelvic floor issue because I have never peed my pants. But then they say, oh, I go to the bathroom every hour because I feel like I'm going to pee my pants. Well, that's a problem, right? And like you said, that stemmed or can stem from years of sitting in a classroom and being told we have to wait. Absolutely. But I do have one other question before we wrap up here, just for women that are planning on having a baby, what are some things that they should take into consideration? Um, I mean, obviously taking into consideration whether their pelvic floor, their hips, everything is functioning, probably their core, because all that's going to be affected while carrying the baby and then through delivery, childbirth, all that. So obviously, even if you think everything's functioning well, it doesn't hurt to have that kind of checked out, right? It's just like if you're going to go into knee surgery, we're starting to see that preparing for that can be very helpful for recovery, right? So A lot of times if people are having a knee replacement, their doctors will say, go see physiotherapy before surgery so we can prep you to recover from that. Same thing with delivery. You're going to have trauma to the pelvic floor, whether it's a C-section or a vaginal delivery, your abdomen, your pelvic, pelvis, your pelvic floor are all going to be affected. So there's going to be some trauma there. So going into it with a healthy pelvic floor, healthy core, healthy hips, healthy back, all that is going to help you kind of have a successful pregnancy physically and then also help you with recovery post-delivery, right? Whatever that looks like for you. So even if you think you don't have a problem, it can be a good idea to see someone to see if there is something we can do to improve the function of all of those things. Aside from that, I will often encourage stretches and exercise, breath work, all of that throughout pregnancy and post-delivery because all those things can help you obviously withstand the pregnancy, but then with recovery post-pregnancy as, or post-delivery as well. So yeah, it, there's always something you can do to help even if you don't think you have any issues because you're going to have some trauma, if you will, to the area in going through that scenario. Yes. And to be frank, after this conversation, I feel like this is something that everybody should go check out at least once. Kind of one of those. We we all go to the dentist. We do this. We do that. This should be almost part of that as well. For sure. I agree. I mean, I'm biased, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, a hundred percent. Because again, it, and 
it all comes down. I'll leave it with this. Like it all comes down to the way we move our bodies every day. We are not moving them the way they're designed to be moved. Our ancestors were moving very differently to the way that we move day in and day out. Our ancestors didn't have cars to drive. They didn't have tables and chairs to sit at. They didn't have a toilet that they used. They didn't have a comfy mattress that they slept on. They were climbing walls, chasing food, growing crops, walking everywhere they went for miles on end. They were sleeping on a hard ground. They pooped and peed in a squat position. They ate by the fire in a squat position. If they wanted to relax, it was to either squat down or maybe sit on a log or the ground for a very short period of time because that wasn't comfortable. There was no couches to get comfy and sink into, right? So it really comes down to the fact that society today, we do not use our bodies the way they were innately designed to be used. And so we can all use treatment or even just modifications in the way we live or move throughout our daily lives to help our body function better. Yes. And those are all valid points. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's just like, when you think about it, we're not even close to how we are designed to be moving. And so of course there's going to be problems coming up. Right. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great conversation. And what's what's going on with you and where my listeners can find you? And if you have anything coming up, please let us know. Yes. So there's a lot of stuff coming in 2024. Super excited about it. I will be over the course of the year coming up with some courses and stuff. So you'll be able to find that on my page. So Calm Health Physiotherapy. You can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. My website is at calmhealthpt.com. And then I also co-host in a podcast with my girl. Um, We do the Vagina Blueprint together. So we talk about all things womanhood. So you can find us on there. We talk a lot about the stuff that we've talked about today and just kind of dive into it a little bit deeper. Yeah. And then I'm currently practicing out of a clinic in the falls, Grand Core Physiotherapy in the falls. So you can find me in treatment there if there's anything you need specifically. But otherwise, yeah, anyone can kind of shoot a message, DM at me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm happy to answer any questions. Yes. And for our listeners, Carmen will actually be leading our pelvic floor class for the Kinky Wellness Summit happening in February. So that was going to be very in-depth. And this was a great introduction for it. And I'm very excited. And this is something that needs to be brought to the table for sure when it comes to wellness and just overall health. So thank you again for your time. And for my listeners, you guys know what to do. As always, stay kinky.